Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with His Word, and more in love with people. Well, praise the Lord. It is good to be in the Lord's house. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's good to be, good to be back. And uh, let me just say, first of all, I want to thank, uh, thank Travis. What a tremendous job he did over the past two Sundays. Amen? And uh, I fully expect... I fully expect some participation today. <laughs> listen, listen. I'm watching online and I hear people saying, Amen. I hear people saying, That's right. I hear people clapping. So I fully expect some participation today. Amen. Uh, don't let that be the only time you participate. Amen. Well, let me just do this. Uh, first of all, uh, thank you so much for your prayers. Uh, Somebody asked how I'm feeling. I will tell you my lungs feel like they're about 80%. I'm going to push them to about 120 today, okay? Lord willing, uh, we'll, we'll be able to pump it right on up and see what the Lord has for us from His Word. But uh, it, uh, it has been a challenge, I can tell you. Um, pneumonia, I have learned, is no joke. I, I, I thought, you know, hey, it was nothing but a little bit of sniffle, a little bit of a cough, and... And uh, they had said Krista had bronchitis, so I thought there were no problems. So you know what I did? I did what every usual man does. I did not go to the doctor right away. And uh, when I did go, uh, they did x-rays and blood work and everything. And the doctor came in and he said, well, no wonder. He said, you have pneumonia. And I said, I have what? <laughs> he said, pneumonia. I said, no, 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 check it again. And he said, you have pneumonia. And uh, but uh, praise the Lord, I'm on the uptick, and I really appreciate your prayers. I appreciate all the emails that I got, some texts and some calls. Even if I wasn't able to talk to you in the moment, I appreciate your consideration and your prayers. I would ask that you be praying for Darren's sister Dawn this morning as we gather. His sister is in ICU and certainly dealing with her own health uh, problems. And certainly Dave Elliott's been dealing with his dear mom's health down in uh, Myrtle Beach and Many of you have had uh, uh, bouts with colds, and we have children that have dealt with the RSV um, this, this, this year already, and so I, I ask you to pray for one another. I also ask you to pray, you won't know the family, but I ask you to pray for the Blocker family. This is a young man from Kettle Run High School, uh, senior, who is currently on life support. I won't go into the whole story uh, but uh, unfortunate situation, but I know that his family would appreciate your prayers. If you'd like more information, I'll share what details I know with you after the service, but be play, praying for the Blocker family. And then I would ask you to do something on Tuesday. If you have not already done it, please, please do not neglect the opportunity and our responsibility to vote. Please get out and vote. Uh, early voting, I believe, in our area has concluded as of yesterday, and so uh, Tuesday it is. I encourage you to take part in the opportunity to cast your ballot. And then this week, I ask you to invite your friends, 
You say, I don't have any friends. Well, then get busy and make a friend this week and invite them for crying out loud. Find yourself friendly. Next Sunday is friend day. If, uh, and listen, here's the thing. If you're going to invite your friend, I want to ask you to be invested in it, right? Go out and invite them and say, hey, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come and I want you to hang out. We're going to have some coffee, juice, donuts, whatever you want at 830. We're going to have a concert. There's going to be some guys up here singing at 9 o'clock. We're going to enjoy that. And then we're going to have a worship service all about friends next Sunday, 8.39 and 10 o'clock. And then here's where the investment comes in. If you're able, do lunch with them. Take them to lunch. Let your family be friends to another family. And uh, listen, I know that you will be blessed. And who knows what the Lord might do next Sunday if we really, really take it seriously and invite somebody. And here, I'm going to go out on a limb. I, I, I've been praying about should I make this offer or not. My wife will probably have words with me after I make this impromptu announcement. Whoever invites the most friends and they actually show up, I will actually take you and your friends to lunch and pay for you and your friends' lunch. Now, Darren is thinking right now, I have about 40 friends I can bring. <laughs> All right? I'm serious about that. I so much want you to invite your friends next Sunday that I would be willing to take you and all of your friends that you can, can uh, get here to the Lord's house to hear God's word, I'll take you to lunch, amen? And so you be thinking about that and thinking about who you might uh, bring to lunch and pray for me. I'm sure my wife will have words with me afterwards about that, about that opportunity that I just put forth. Listen, let's look at God's word this morning. If you have God's word, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and hold your place. And as we get going this morning, I want to ask you to join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to gather in this place. Lord, we are grateful for your healing hand. Lord, we're grateful for your love. Wherewith you loved us and sent your son Jesus to die for us. Even while we were yet sinners, you proved that love to us. And so, Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity you have already given us this morning to sing praises under your holy name. And certainly, Lord, everything, everything we do should bring you glory. Lord, I pray that today that I will step backward, that you might be able to step forward, and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, because, God, you are my strength, you are my redeemer, and, Lord, I want nothing more than to honor you in this moment. I pray that if there's somebody in this room or somebody watching that has heard a lot about God, they've heard a lot about your son, Jesus, but they've never entered into the greatest relationship of all. Lord, I pray through the preaching of your word and the wooing of the Holy Spirit, you would draw them unto yourself where they might find forgiveness of sin and life everlasting. Lord, I love you and I thank you for the opportunity that you have given us here today. May you be honored, as I said already, and we'll give you the praise for all that you'll do. In Jesus' precious name, we pray as a family. Amen and amen. Well, this morning, I want to ask you a question right off the bat. Have you, and I think this probably goes without saying, have you ever struggled with courage? Anybody be honest and say, hey, I've struggled with courage before. Anybody in this room besides me? You ever struggled with courage? I think the reality is, doesn't, doesn't it seem like fear seems to be the norm? Right? 
Fear seems to be the norm, not just today, but it, seemingly down through the ages, fear seems to come much easier than courage. And even today, courage seems like it happens on a very rare occasion. The truth is we tend to be fearful people in all sorts of things. From the simple things to silly things. I've told you stories in the past about how when I was a child that I was fearful of the dark. And how I used to lay in the bed as flat as I could because I was afraid that the boogeyman was going to come and get me. Little did I know that it was only my brothers <laughs> that were trying to torment me as a child. The reality is we get fearful about silly things, simple things. And sometimes if we're not careful, we find ourselves becoming fearful about serious things and even worse than serious things, sometimes we get fearful about scriptural things, don't we? We're fearful to share our faith many times. I'll tell you the greatest place to hand out a track is in a drive-thru. When they hand you your change, you hand them a track. Easy, right? You can hand them a track and say, hey, listen, thank you so much for what you're doing. Here's a word of encouragement for you. We can all use a word of encouragement. I want to encourage you. Don't be fearful of sharing your faith. You see, on the other hand, when we look at the opposite side of fear, we find courage. And Merriam-Webster, here's what Merriam-Webster says about courage. Defines courage as a mental or moral strength to venture, to persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. But I don't want to know what Merriam-Webster has to say. I want to know what the Bible has to say. Amen? And so biblically, when we look in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word used most for courage means to show oneself strong. But here's the reality. You and I have no strength. We have no courage. We have no ability to show ourselves strong unless we are going in the strength of Almighty God. In the New Testament, the Bible talks about courage as being, in fact, you've heard this, be of good cheer. You hear that phrase many times in, in Scripture. In fact, Jesus, you remember, he's walking on the water. He's coming to his disciples, and they start to flip out in the middle of the night. And he says, hey, what does he say? He says, be of good cheer. It is I. Hey, listen, can I give you some courage this morning? Be of good cheer. Jesus loves you. Amen. The world may hate you. They may despise you. They may try to tear you down. But Jesus loves you. The word good cheer literally speaks of having boldness. And confidence. Jesus says, you can have boldness. You can have confidence. There's no need to fear because it's I. I'm the one that's able to walk on water. I'm the one that's able to cause you to walk on water. I'm the one that's able to bring healing about in your life. I'm the one that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think because I am the son of the living God. Amen? Oh, listen, you want to get excited this morning? I said, we need some participation in this place. Man, my lungs feel better already. Someone has rightly put it this way by saying, courage is fearlessness in the face of danger. But the reality is that you and I, we struggle with courage, and the struggle is real. Isn't that what they say? The struggle is real. Day in and day out, we struggle with courage. I believe that's why every time when we find in God's Word, you see these words, fear not. In God's word, scripture normally follows it up. When, when he says, fear not, remember scripture, Jesus said, fear not. 
Be of good church, be of good cheer. What happens is when we find these words fear not, typically in scripture, what happens is God follows them up with a reason to have courage. And that reason is always pointing back to himself, pointing back to his power. Oh, listen, courage can only come from God. And, and here's the thing, since God created us, I'm, I'm guessing he understands our struggle with fear. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 46 and verse number one that God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Are you facing something this morning that you're feeling a little fearful about? Are you dealing with something that you lack a lot of courage? And I say a lot of courage because guess what? You either have courage or you don't. There's no in-between. Well, I... I, 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 I Operated with a little courage. No, we either have courage or we don't. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge of strength and very present help in trouble. But if you go on and read verse number 2, I love what the psalmist says, Therefore will not we, in other words, we will not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Listen, we're not going to fear because we know, Lord, that you are our strength. We know that you are our refuge. We know that you are the one, our very present help in the midst of this troubled world that we live in in 2022. I don't know about you, but I'm trusting on the everlasting arms of Jesus. Listen, I'm hiding up under his wings because I'm not going to get strength. I'm not going to get courage from anywhere else. Now, I'm, listen, my wife, she's a wonderful woman, and she might spur me on to do some great things, but she has no ability to give me courage. Only Jesus gives me courage. Oh, how we need to stand up. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, you soldiers of the cross. Lift forth his royal diadem, his banner. Oh, it must not, it must not suffer loss. The importance of being courageous. Now, here's the thing, guys. The importance of being courageous is weaved all, all through Scripture. In fact, you can go from Genesis 1 1 to Revelation 22 21, and you find stories of amazing courage all throughout Scripture. In fact, guys, if you have the slides and you want to take a picture, uh, we got the one screen. You can shoot a picture if you want it. But in Genesis 6 7, Noah shows courage of the Lord when he and his family were the only righteous ones left on earth. In Genesis 12 and 22, we find Abraham's courage and willingness to do what the Lord had asked him. Jacob exercises courage when he finally faces his brother. By the way, you know what his brother said. He said, listen, I'm going to kill you. If I ever see you again, I will kill you because you stole my birthright. You remember that story? And Jacob, he finally is given the courage to face his brother. We find that in Genesis 32 and 33. Joseph courageously stood time and time again when he was put to the test. And you can read that in Genesis 39 and following. Moses was courageous when he confronted Pharaoh with God's words. Let my people go. Time and time again from Exodus 5 on and on. He kept on continuously exercising courage. You remember when God calls Moses? What, is, what was Moses' response? He says, I can't, I, I, I don't know what to say. And God says, you go and I'll give you the words to say. You just go. You exercise a little courage because I will strengthen you. I will give you courage. By the way, when Moses dies, the first thing God tells jo uh, uh, Joshua, in fact, Joshua's up on the list too. He says, be, uh, of, uh, of, be strong and of good courage. 
And he tells him that over and over and over again. Joshua shows us courage as he battles in and out armies all throughout his leadership. Rahab courageously risked everything on the fact that Yahweh was the one true God. Gideon exercises courage even though he throws out the fleece. Don't throw Gideon under the bus because he exercises courage with an inferior army against an overwhelming Midianite army. Esther courageously faces her royal husband who, by the way, he had already proved he had no, uh, no patience for a queen who was not willing to respond to proper protocol. You can read that story and find out about her so-called royal husband. Elijah's courage resulted in Jezebel wanting to kill him. John the Baptist courageously stood for truth and morality. A couple weeks ago, Travis was sharing the story about Peter and John. In Acts chapter 3, they healed the lame guy. And then in Acts chapter 4, they're preaching the gospel left and right. They, they beat him up and they throw him in jail. And they say, don't you preach in this name of Jesus anymore. And what do they do? They get out of jail and they go back to preaching. Woo, that's courage. Hey, and the message I was actually going to preach this morning was from Acts chapter 14. Travis is probably kind of flipped out right now because I was talking all about Acts chapter 14 and how that Paul and, and Barnabas, as they go out in Acts chapter 13, they're sent out of Antioch and they go out into their first missionary journey. They sail to Cyprus and they tell people about Jesus. They keep telling people about Jesus. They cross the whole island. Then they go north and they're in Antioch, Pisidia and Iconium and Lystra and Derb and, and on and on. And in, in Acts chapter 14, you find they actually stone Paul as if he were dead. And this man, you know what he does in that passage in Acts chapter 14? after they stone him and leave him for dead, he actually gets right back up. And he goes right back into the same city that they pulled him out from. And he keeps on confirming souls. He keeps on telling them about Jesus. He keeps on making disciples and seeing people added to the church. Oh, by the way, you need the church, and the church needs you, amen? Oh, listen, we're not, we're not secret saints. We're not, we're not lone ranger Christians. We need one another. And so we need to be in the house of the Lord. But this morning, I want us to look at the courage of a young teenager when everyone around him, when everyone around him is exercising a bunch of fear. And we know the story. We're like, it's like, ah, David and Goliath. I learned that when I was four years old. They used to put up the pictures on the flannel graph. And if you're over 50, you know what a flannel graph is. If you're under 50, you're like, what the heck is a flannel graph? What is that man talking about? And the reality, before we get into 1 Samuel chapter 17, what's taking place in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul is king. You remember he was head and shoulders above everybody. The people wanted a king. And so guess what? Samuel said, Lord, they want a king. So the people whined and they complained. Spain, they were not content. You were talking about being content this morning. They whined and complained and they wanted a king. And so God said, okay, guess what? By, by the way, you said something that was really important. Be careful what you ask for sometimes. Because God's liable to give it to you. And so they wanted a king. And so 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul's king. God says, hey, listen. I remember the Amalekites, how they treated Israel in the past. He said, here's what I want you to do. You're king. I've given you strength. The spirit of the Lord is upon you. I want you to go out and I want you to utterly destroy the Amalekites. And if you know the story, they go out there 
and they very quickly, uh, uh, they very quickly make work of the Amalekites, except for one thing. They don't kill Agag the king. They don't kill everything. They don't utterly destroy everything of the Amalekites. But because of their covetousness, because of their greed, they actually want the animals. They want the livestock. They want the spoils of war. And God was saying, hey, listen, this is a time where there's no spoils. I want you to utterly destroy everything they have. And so what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 15, God removes his hand. And he tells Samuel, he says, listen, it repenteth me that I made that man king. It repents me that I put him in charge. He says, so you go and tell him that he's finished, that I've removed the kingdom from him. And so Samuel, you know the story. He goes and he tells Saul, and Saul says, whoa, 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 whoa. He says, I have sinned. He says, uh, let me come and worship the Lord now. And if you know the rest of the story, and I may point it out here again a couple of times as we're going through, Saul actually blames the people. He said it was the people's fault. No, you're the king. He says it was the people who wanted this. It was the people that did this. Instead of owning up to his own sinfulness, he starts blaming the people. Well, the rest of the story, as you know, God says, now guess what? I've already chosen another king. I need you to get down to Bethlehem. Hmm, going to Bethlehem. Hmm, what else came out of Bethlehem? Anyway, I digress. That's a different message. He says, get on down to Bethlehem because there's Jesse and his boys. And I want you to find, uh, you get down there and I'll let you know who the next king is. And so the rest of the story, you get in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Here comes Eliab. Here comes the next one. Here comes Shammah. And, and, and God's like, nope, nope, nope. Seven of Jesse's sons come before Samuel and God says, nope, 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 nope. And so Samuel says, is this it? Are there no more sons? Because God distinctly told me to come here. And he says, yeah, there's one more. He's a wee little fella. He's out in the field watching the sheep. And Samuel says, you bring him here. And here's, let me just read it for you. I didn't call for this. Let me just read it for you here. And Samuel said unto Jesse, verse number 11, chapter 16, here are all thy children. And he said, there remaineth the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. He was reddish. He was of reddish complexion. He was ruddy withal. But watch this. He was of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look on. He's a good looking lad. He's a good looking lad. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him. For this is he. So we fast forward, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon David, young David, this teenage boy. And the Spirit of the Lord moves off of Saul. Now Saul's dealing with some evil spirits from the Lord. And ironically, his servants and his messengers, they call for who else? They call for David to come and play the harp. And so David comes into the house and we find that he sues uh, King Saul and now He's feeling a little bit better, although things are not the same. David moves off the scene, and we get to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Look at verse number 1, the Bible. By the way, let me just say this. Before we even hit verse number 1, I think it's important for us to understand that the Philistines, who we're going to find out about here in chapter 17, 
I think they knew about the fact that God had removed his hand off of Saul. I believe, because guess what? People talk, don't they? Anybody here ever talk? Anybody ever shared? Did you hear? Hmm? Pastor got the pneumonia. He's going down. Oh, rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. I don't know if he'll come back. Now, I don't know that you said that. I pray you didn't say that. Maybe you did, whatever. <laughs> but here's the deal. I'm being facetious, of course, but the reality is people talk. And remember, Saul's got messengers. He's got all kind of servants. Remember, he's king. He's got his own little secret service agents. <laughs> and guess what? They say, you know what he needs? He needs someone to come soothe him. He needs a harpist. Now, I know Jesse's boy down here, he knows how to play the harp pretty good. Let's go get him. So guess what? While they're going to get, don't you think rumor passes out that something's going on with King Saul? So we go. By the way, I just put it this way. Note to self, and maybe the guys have it. The enemies of Christ are always watching to see or detect weakness. You say, I struggle with courage. Let me just tell you, the enemies of Christ are watching you. I struggle with fear. The enemies of Christ are watching you. I, 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 I'm not happy with this. I'm not happy. The enemies of Christ are always watching us. And I don't believe it's any different with the Philistines. And so look at verse number one. The Bible says the Philistines gathered together all their armies to battle, which is ironic because they shouldn't have even been in the land. They should have been cast out way, way, way long ago. But yet here we find them preparing for war. And by the way, the Philistines are strong people. They're technologically advanced as far as their weaponry. You can look at uh, the description of all that uh, uh, Goliath has as he goes to war. So they're technologically advanced. They, they've obviously taken uh, uh, metals and used them to their advantage. And so the, as far as their weaponry, they're far more uh, advanced than others. And verse number four says that Goliath was six cubits in a span... By the way, this would be the equivalent of at least nine and a half feet. Some believe even closer to 11 feet. But anyway, I know that there are some theological thinkers, and there might be some here who like to be theological thinkers, or sometimes, Darren and I joke, sometimes I call them snack shop theologians. I had a professor who used to come into the snack shop there at Baptist Bible College, and we would be sitting around getting a sandwich or something between class, and he would look over at us, he'd say, oh... Snack shop theologians, hmm. We'd all have our Bible out and we would be discoursing or debating some topic or something. And the reality is there's some theological thinkers who say, well, he wasn't really six cubits in a span. By the way, I just want to believe God's word. But there are some theological thinkers, air quotes intended, who say, well, Goliath was only four cubits in a span. Well, good for you. That still means he was at least six feet, nine inches tall. So whether you want to trust God or you want to trust man, the reality is he was a really big dude. And so, verse number three says, the Philistines, they stand on, on one mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. But drop down to verse number eight. 
Because here's where things get really revved up. And he, speaking of Goliath, stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set battle in array? Whoa, bro. You guys actually got yourself set up for battle. We're just responding to what you guys are doing. So he calls them out. He says, Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? He says, Choose you a man. There's the problem. There was no man to be found. None of them had courage. In the whole army of Israel, there was not a man who had courage, not even the king. And yet this giant, this son of Anak, by the way, he was the son of Anak. He calls him out and he says, Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. Verse number 9, If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then, ye shall, then shall ye be our servants and you'll serve us. In verse number 10, and the Philistines said, I defy, uh-oh, now you got some fighting words. I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. Now what's going on if you're unaware of what's taking place? This is called representative warfare. Goliath comes out. He knows he's the biggest dude around. He comes out, he's clad in all kind of armor. In fact, his armor is so, uh, in fact, I don't think he was really able to move very well because it's such a bad situation that someone actually has to bear his shield in front of him. This armor that he's wearing is so, so enormous, so impressive that someone actually has to carry the shield in front of him. How do you like to be the guy who carries the shield? It's like, what's your job? I just carry a shield. So guess what? The first arrow is going to hit you, bro. If you look at verse 16, look over there, verse 16. The Bible reveals that Goliath, he did this morning and evening. In other words, he does this twice a day, every day for 40 days. And in verse number 11, the Bible says, And Saul, when Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. In other words, Goliath's words had stifled them from courageously sending someone or actually going to battle. Remember, the Spirit of the Lord has left Saul, and so here's what happens. He's actually walking in fear, and his army is looking to him to get a little bit of courage. But when they look at their leader, they find no courage. And so what do they do? They do exactly what their leader does. They back up. They're like, nope, we're going to be afraid too. If our king is afraid, then we are afraid. And so they look around for some leadership and courage, and they find none. By the way, fear is nothing new for Saul when he's explaining why he disobeyed or partially disobeyed God, by the way, partial obedience is complete disobedience. So I told you that last week, a couple of weeks ago, um, or Wednesday night I was saying to the crowd, notice in verse uh, 21 of chapter 15, one page flip, he says, but the people. So he blames the people, but then when you look down, if you look down to verse 24, and Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words. Why? Because I, what? I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Listen, we're living in a time where it's real easy to fear a bunch of people. But I want to encourage you, if you're going to fear somebody, have a right fear of God. 
quit fearing what, what this one, that one, or the other one says. I'm so tired. Listen, I will tell you this. I said it on Wednesday night. One of the worst things about pneumonia is watching all these stupid political ads on TV. I'll never be so thankful as I will be on Wednesday. Because just, and you know, you know, some of these players probably going to have ads running on Wednesday because they forgot to shut them down. Can I tell you, we need to fear God more than we fear people. Saul had a problem with fear. Meanwhile, David, remember, he's finished playing the harp for Saul, so he's gone back to home. He's back in Bethlehem. He's back watching the sheep. But if you drop down, look at verse number 17. His dad, actually, Jesse, he sends him out to the battle camp with a bunch of Lunchables for his brothers. He sends him out with some, some pudding and some chips and some sandwiches for his brother. And here's another interesting fun fact. If you look at verse number 17 uh, and following, he also sends uh, some cheese. He sends 10 cheeses for the captain of the battalion. I don't know what's going on there. Maybe he's paying to protect his boys. But he sends these cheeses out, and so guess what? Even though David has been anointed as the next king of Israel, he's still submitting himself to his own earthly father. And his father said, son, you go, and you take these lunches to your brothers. You take these loaves. You take these ten cheeses to the captain of the guard. You do what I say, and, you, and when you get out there, I want you to find out how your brothers are. And if they have incurred any debt, if there's any problem going on with them, then I want you to bring me word of what's taking place in the camp. And so David, if you drop down in verse number 20, you see David rises up early in the morning. He leaves the sheep with the keeper back home. He took and went as his dad commanded him, and he came to the trench as the host. As he gets to the battle line, the host of the army is going forth to fight, and they shouted for battle. Verse 21, for Israel and the Philistines had put the battle array army against army. So what you're telling me, in God's word here, what I'm finding is that after 40 days, 80 times, you've allowed this man to curse you and your God 80 times. And now you're ready to fight? Let me ask you a question. How long does it take you to get upset about somebody blaspheming God? How long does it take you to stand up and show some godly courage when somebody's talking about the church of the living God? How long does it take you to stand up when you find somebody talking about a brother or sister or a leader in the church? Oh, I never thought about it that way. After 40 days, they're supposedly getting ready to fight. Give me a break. They're going out there and they're making a big spectacle of themselves. They're shouting as if they're getting themselves all revved up. In fact, as they go to war, if you know Old Testament, this is what they would do. They would get all revved up. They're like... Like, I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. I'm on the battlefield for my Lord. And they're marching to war, and they're like, you know, they're singing these songs, and they're getting all revved up as if they're going to go to war. And then what do they do? They just stand there. What do we do now? Hey, everybody looks good. Cover, align. There you go. Parade rest. And they do nothing. By the way, I don't know if you paid attention to verse 20 and 21, but where's the king? Says nothing about Saul. Says the army goes out. So my interpretation is, guess what? Saul's not there. Guess where he's at? He's hanging out back in the tent. 
He's hanging out. He's not where he should be. You see, Saul had the title, but he didn't have courage. By the way, be wary of getting a title if you ain't got no courage. And I know I just said if you ain't got no. I'm sure my mother-in-law will correct me later. Sometimes you just got to leave it on the field, grandmother. Look at verse 22. Look at verse 22 and following. David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army. So he sees what's going on. He gets out of the carriage and he runs into the army. And he comes and he salutes his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, this Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines. And he spake, watch, according to the same words... But you see, there's a difference now. And David heard them. In verse 24, and all, all means all in the Old Testament and all means all in the New Testament. And all of the men of Israel, when they saw the man Goliath, they fled from him and were sore afraid. In other words, none of them were willing to stand. I've heard it said, now you can go and do your own research. I've heard it said that they actually went back to their tents and they had to change their garments. You figure it out for yourself. They were filled with fear because, watch this, of one man, flesh and blood. They were filled with fear. And despite Old Testament history and how God had worked, to destroy enemies and armies that came against Israel all over the past. In this moment, King Saul's not around and the entirety of his army, they all continue to lack courage, I believe, because they continued to lack faith. For whatever reason, the Goliath they were facing looked and seemed, be- seemed bigger and better than even their own God. And before you judge them too harshly, what about the so-called Goliath that you and I face today? Maybe you're sitting here, maybe you're watching online and you be honest with yourself and God. You don't need to necessarily be honest with me, but be honest with yourself and be honest with God. You say, man, I'm facing a Goliath like I've never faced before in my life. Can I tell you, when I was in the thick of this pneumonia, I thought I was facing a huge Goliath and I had fainted, Barry, except for I knew God had a plan for it and I knew he was gonna bring me through one way or another. You see, do the Goliaths that we seem to face seem larger than life? Do they seem bigger than God? I can assuredly, confidently, and boldly tell you by the authority of God's word, not because I'm good, but because he is great, that they are not bigger than God. Amen? Verse 23, the Bible says that David hears Goliath's words and he's immediately disturbed because Goliath is defying and blaspheming the armies of the living God. And so here's what David says. As soon as he hears what Goliath is saying, he says, no, sir, not on my watch. Who is this uncircumcised? Look at verse 26. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then we find out about his brother real quick. His oldest brother, Eliab. By the way, fun fact for you. Look back at chapter 16. This is just a fun fact. Look at chapter 16 and verse 7. I know I didn't call for this either. Samuel goes, he's looking for the next king. And he asks if it's Eliab, the oldest brother. 
But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance. Because see, when Samuel sees Eliab, he says, whoa, whoa, there's a big boy. Yeah, he's like Saul. Look at him. He must have come in. Yeah, what's up? Yeah, I'm Eliab. How you doing? He comes up. He's looking all strack and everything. And the Lord says to Samuel, look not on his countenance nor on the height of his stature. Because I have refused him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. You know what that tells me? It tells me that right then and there, the Lord already knew that Eliab had a heart problem. And when you get to chapter 17, you look at verse 28, you see his heart problem coming to fruition. Because he calls out David, he says, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Hey, bro, did you not just enjoy the lunch that I brought you? What do you mean, what am I doing? He says, what have you come out here for? Who's taking care of those sheep that you're supposed to be watching? So we very quickly see the heart of his brother. By the way, those who we seem to love, even in our own family, watch this. Even in our own family, even in our own little circle of friends, even our own little brothers and sisters in Christ, they can be the worst when it comes to exercising courage sometimes. By the way, remember all of Israel fled because all of Israel was fearful. Eliab, I don't care how tall he was, how big he was, he was just like the rest. The Bible says all of them fled. They all feared. And so the reality is sometimes the most discouraging opposition for you and I to do what is right will sometimes come from those people who are supposed to be in our corner. Eliab was jealous. Let's just put it right where it is. He's jealous because God chose David and not him. He's thinking, I'm the best, I'm the biggest, I'm the oldest, I should be first. And God said, no, you got a problem with your heart. Get down. And he, chose, and he chooses David. And by the way, sometimes fearful and unbelieving and cowardly people make the biggest obstacle to you and I fulfilling the mission of God. But David would not be stopped. Look at verse number 29 because this is his response to his brother. He says, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? In other words, Eliab, can, not, can you not see what this big dummy is doing? Do you not hear how he has defied our God? Do you going to just sit here and do nothing? How can you just sit here with your mouth closed and do nothing? How can you not be the first one to attack that dummy? So he calls his brother out. He says, is there not a cause? God's honor, God's glory is at stake. And you're sitting here fearful and you're wondering why I have come up here. You see, David's courage was fueled by his faith and his confidence in God's promises. And God's power to fulfill his promise. Remember, he's been chosen. He's been anointed. The spirit of the Lord is on David at this point. And so David, he actually has to convince, as if he has to convince Saul, who wouldn't even go out the second time from Scripture, from what I find, he has to convince Saul that he's able to go and do battle against this, this giant. Remember, he tells him the whole story about how he's watching the sheep and the lion and the bear come and how he destroys the lion and the bear. And he tells Saul, he says, guess what? This Philistine will be just like the lion and the bear. And you can read that in verses 34 through 36. Folks, David's courage, write this down. David's courage was not based in self-confidence, but his courage was based in God confidence. He had a confidence of God that no one else had. 
Scripture tells us how King Saul, if you look at verse 38 and 39, King Saul tries to put the armor on David. You remember? Remember, David's not that big a guy. And so he tries to put his armor on David. And he puts the, but I put in my notes, David didn't need the armor of man because he was already clothed in the armor of God. By the way, there's the key to being courageous, to be clothed with the armor of God, not the armor of man. Because I can tell you the armor of man will let you down. When Goliath sees David in verse 42, he disdains him, he despises him because he's a youth, because he's ruddy, because he has a fair countenance. In other words, when Goliath sees him and David, he comes out, you guys get the picture, he's got the sling, He's got a little pouch. He's got five smooth stones. Goliath probably didn't see those five smooth stones. I don't know. But he sees David, and here comes David. And there's Goliath in all his armor. Got the guy holding his shield in front of him, carrying it out to battle. I imagine when Goliath, I imagine Goliath being about like this tall as if he's standing on the ground. And I imagine David being down there and Goliath being like, are you kidding me? Is this all y'all got? Is this all you got? You're sending me a child. You're sending out one of your children to fight me? He's not a warrior. See, David didn't look like a winter soldier warrior. He didn't look like he was anybody that was skilled in battle. Now, folks, can I tell you, it's not about your skill or my skill. It's about God's skill. And so the reality is, David goes out. Goliath judges David because he judges his book. He curses David. And he actually tells David, he says, hey, by the way, I'm going to feed you to the beasts and the birds today. I'm going to feed your carcass. You're getting ready to die, young man. I would have been more appreciative of Goliath if he said, you know what? At least there's one who's willing to stand. We're about 41, 42 days in now. And nobody's come forward. And then finally David comes forward. Look at verse 45. David goes out to battle and he knows that God's going to give him the victory. Then David said to the Philistine, Come, thou comest to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee, watch it, in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee. Oh, I love that. And take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines, not just yours, but the carcasses of all of y'all, this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with the sword and spear. Here it is, Battlefield Baptist Church. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David understood, he understood that the battle had very little to do with him and a whole lot and everything else to do with God. You and I can be victorious when we realize that God wants us to turn over our so-called battles to him. Verse 48 and following, And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David. David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and slang it. I love that. He slang it. That's country right there. Thou slingest the stone. No, no. He took it out and he slang it, Falkir County style. And he smote the Philistine in his forehead. And that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. 
So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. He smote the Philistine and slew him. Folks, courage is not something you or I can generate. Courage is produced by faith. As believers, we can surmise that a lack of biblical courage is evidence that we have a lack of faith in the promises and power of God. If you lack courage today, the reality is that there is a faith problem. I have a lack of faith that God can do what he says he can do. But David did not have a lack of faith, therefore he did not lack courage. In fact, sometimes we lack courage even though Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, I am with you all way even to the end of the world. As though he said even in our Sunday school text in, verse, in Hebrews 13 in verse number 5, I am, will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Sometimes we hear those words, but do we really ever believe them? Do we believe that he is with us always, even to the end of the earth? Do we believe that he will never leave us nor forsake us? See, there are times that we may feel like we're facing a Goliath that's bigger than God, but they're not bigger than God. It doesn't matter what you're facing, financial, physical, emotional. It doesn't matter what the situation is. If we go forth by faith, in fact, the Bible says we're to walk by faith and not by sight. And not by sight. If we walk by faith, then we know that God will work in our lives. If there seems to be a Goliath looming large or continually taunting us in life, the reality is that fear at this point in your life must be winning the battle. A battle that only faith and courage can conquer. By the way, David wasn't immune to fear. All you have to do is read the first 25 Psalms to understand a little bit about David's fear and unbelief. He wasn't a man without fear. He was a man after God's own heart. There's a big difference. You see, there are times when we might be fearful. But faith is what enabled David to walk by courage, and faith is what will enable us to do the same thing. And the reality is that David stepped up when no one else would because God's name, God's honor, and God's glory was at stake. When are we going to stand up and fight the battles that come our way knowing that our God's name, his honor, and his glory is at stake. I put in my notes these questions. Do we have the courage that we need to stand up for Jesus? Do we have the courage that we need to stand up for the word of God? Do we have courage to stand up for biblical truth in a world that no longer wants to hear biblical truth? We've got churches and mainstream ministries teaching all types of things other than the word of God. But guess what? Jesus is still enough. <laughs> Ephesians 6 and verse 12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 6 and 27 and 28 that we're to love our enemies and to do good to them who hate us and to bless them that curse us and to pray for them which despitefully use us. Why? Because if you go back to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12, the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickednesses in high places. You see, folks, our battle is not against some type of a physical Goliath. Our battle is against sin and spiritual Goliath. Elias. We've gotten it wrong. Instead of attacking people on Facebook 
on Twitter or other social media platforms. Instead of having hateful discourse with people in the workplace or the marketplace or in your neighborhood or even in your own family, we need to be pointing them to Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy before him that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Oh, he did that for you and he did that for me. Oh, what are we, gonna, what are we willing to do for him? Are we willing to stand up and be courageous? We need to be courageous. Jude tells us in Jude 3 that we need to contend for the faith that has been delivered to us. 1 Timothy 6 and 12 says, fight the good fight of faith. Paul, at the end of his life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 7, he said, I have, fought a, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Do you know that today as we sit here, there are still men and women, boys and girls who are being persecuted, who are being stoned and tortured and imprisoned and even put to death because they have a boldness, they have a courage to stand up for the Jesus they say they love and they serve and they worship. What are we willing to do here in Northern Virginia? Man, you might say I'm getting fired up. I feel a sweat a-brewing. Folks, the persecutions and battles that you and I face, they may seem very different today, but we must always be willing and ready to stand up and fight when our Lord's name, when our Lord's honor, and when our Lord's glory is at stake. I want to close with this. You know, David, he gets the sling out and he slang it and he uses one stone. And I know there's been a lot of dialogue, a lot of debate. Why did he put five in? Why did he put five stones in? <laughs> I just think he wanted to be prepared. He said, listen, I'm trusting God, but I'm not a warrior, so guess what? I may miss this big dude. By the way, if you aim at nothing, you're going to hit it every time. He says, I'm. he has five stones. You see, he was trusting God, but David was also prepared. If you and I are going to exercise courage, we have to be prepared. We have to be prepared by putting on God's armor, as I already said. We have to prepare ourselves by knowing God's word. The Bible says, to study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that rightly divides the word of truth. Listen, we have to know God's word if we're going to face these spiritual wickednesses in high places. And then thirdly, we need to prepare ourselves by trusting God and by continuing to live by faith. Well, scripture makes it very abundantly clear that God chooses courageous Christians to do and to bring about unexplainable wonders for his glory. Courageous Christians exhibit and they, uh, they actually execute and demonstrate divine boldness and live out their faith in high-risk situations. And courageous Christians are not afraid, they're not dismayed, and they're not discouraged when threats and challenging situations come their way. Since 2020, chaos has ensued in this country. Chaos. And a lot of us have given ourselves fearfully over to the chaos when we need to be giving ourselves over to Jesus. Are you willing to stand up? I'm asking. Are you willing to stand up? 
Are you willing to be found faithful? Are you willing to exercise some good old-fashioned, spirit-filled, spirit-led courage? Are you willing to speak up when people defy or they blaspheme the name of our Savior? See, it's one thing to stand idly by why somebody takes the Lord's name in vain. It's another thing to confront them. I learned a long time ago. I was in the Marine Corps. And by the way, I served in the Marine Corps in the Army, so this is not a slight. This is just a reality of military service. A lot of people like to curse in the military. Typically, sadly, I found that cursing was only allowed if you were higher rank than the one you were cursing at. Now, when I finally made it to Sergeant Major, I didn't have many people ever curse at me. But when I was a private, by the way, when I was, let's just say it, you're not even a private in the Marine Corps boot camp. You're just a recruit. You're a piece of dirt and worse. And I remember hearing words and things that I never thought I would hear. And after a while, if we're not careful, we just, what do we do? We join in. If you can't beat them, join them. You want to know someone who had no tolerance for that? It's my loving wife. She was the girl who at her office had a jar that if you came into her presence and you used a curse word or God help you if you took the Lord's name in vain, you were paying money. She said, I'll hit them where it hurts until they stop cussing in my presence. This isn't a message on cussing. But when somebody takes the name of the Lord in vain, are you the one who's willing to stand up and speak up? Or are you the one that, like the armies of Israel, back up? When our culture attacks Christianity as it's attacking Christianity now. By the way, if you don't think it's attacking us, you're asleep at the wheel. I encourage you to wake up. Are you the one who's going to stand up and speak up? Are you the one that's going to step back and cower in fear? You see, David, like many who had gone before him and like many who came after him, David was a young teenager who was willing to exercise courage when it mattered the most. By the way, this is not the first or the last time that we hear from David in Scripture. Not all of it's good. Let's not paint a picture rosier than it is. Not all of it's good. David not only was consumed with fear, but David, like you and I, had sin. He had a sin problem that needed to be corrected. And by God's grace, it was. And by God's amazing grace, he went on to serve the Lord. Will you stand up? Will you speak up? Will you serve 
the living God today? Because here's what I know. You say, what does it matter? I'm just one person. Pastor, it's just me. You don't know the dynamics of my family. You don't know the dynamics of my job situation. You don't know the dynamics of what I'm going through right now. You're right. But I do know this, that the Bible tells me that one young young man's courage changed the outlook of an entire army. Look at verse 51. Therefore David ran. (laughs) And he stood upon the Philistine and he took his sword. He takes Goliath's sword and he drew it out of the sheath thereof and he slew him and he cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, what happens now? They fled. They turn coat. They turn tail and start running. And then watch what takes place. Verse 52. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. One man's courage spread like a wildfire. Who's going to be the courageous one in this church? I'm willing to stand up. I'm willing to speak up. I'm willing to keep serving the Lord. No matter what, come, what, no matter what happens today, no matter what happens tomorrow, who's going to join me? Who's willing to say, Pastor, I'll be courageous. I'll go with the Spirit of the Lord all over me. I'll go in the Holy Spirit power of God, and I'll live a life of courage for my Savior. Who's willing to do it? Who's willing to, as they say, charge hell with a squirt gun? Thank you. I had one person raise his hand. I believe that if you're courageous and I'm courageous, it could spread. It could spread like a wildfire. We could start to see some great things. So instead of being consumed with everything else under the sun other than Jesus, how about let's just get consumed with him? How about let's just be courageous in his strength, in his power, and in his promises? And I know, I know that above and beyond him getting the honor and the glory for that, I know and I believe that he will do exceeding abundantly above all that you and I could ever ask or think, as the Bible tells us. You may be here. You may say, Pastor, I'm not even saved. I don't even know Jesus as my Savior. Can I tell you this? You'll not express, you'll not experience, you'll not execute or exercise courage without Jesus. Now you might believe in something, you might believe you're strong, and you might go fight somebody, you might go this, because you have a belief in your physical ability. Or you might think you're strong mentally, and you might go into the workplace and think you can conquer the world of business because of your your intelligence without ever really understanding that you only have what you have because God gave it to you. If you don't know Jesus today, I want you to know that he loves you. He died for you. He put himself on the cross and paid the ultimate penalty that we deserve, but he did it so that we wouldn't have to pay it. And the Bible says that if we will call out upon the name of the Lord by faith, 
believing that he is who he said he is and that he has done what he has said he has done. If we call out upon the name of the Lord and ask Jesus to come into our heart, into our life, that's exactly what he will do. Not because of what we say, but because of the desire and the recognition, the desire of our heart and the recognition of who he is. As we repent of our sins, we turn away from that lifestyle and we say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and your way. That's exactly what he'll do. He'll come in and make you new. The Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you've never trusted Jesus, I'm begging you. Do not walk out of these doors because I've seen it happen before. None of us are guaranteed a tomorrow. We don't have a blank check. I've seen it happen before. Don't walk out of this place. Don't turn off the computer or TV if you're watching online until you ask Jesus to forgive you. And if you're here and you're saved and you want to really get honest with God and in your heart you know that you've not been the most courageous person, that you've not represented Christ well, I'm begging you to seek his face, to recommit yourself to a life of courage, to a life of faith that will bring him honor and that will bring him glory. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we've had today. God, I pray now that during this time of invitation that you will draw hearts of your people unto yourself. You'll draw those who need a Savior unto yourself and that you will do what only you can do in this moment. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the reminder from your word. God, I pray that you will be honored through this time of invitation. For it's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray and for his sake, amen and amen.